Welcome to The Fuse Show, a podcast brought to you by Orion with your hosts, Ryan Donovan and George Figuera. In today's episode, we chat with David Edwards of Heron Wealth to hear his perspective on how technology can be used as a catalyst for growth. Before we sit down with David, we want to talk about when is the best time to reevaluate your firm's technology, some of the top headline news we're watching in the industry, and other things that happen to be on our mind. So, George, it's been an interesting week for the news. It's been jam-packed with news this week, and I'm really excited to cover the conversation with David. But first, why don't we talk about a few of the headlines? So the race to zero continues, George. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's interesting. So first, Interactive Brokers, then Schwab, followed by TD Ameritrade. Fidelity is going to do anything to take the ETF and equity trades from 495 to zero. Um, there's right off the bat, I think there's a there's a lot of really big benefits to this that um, that we see. Doing away with the trading fees eliminates the friction that might have kept advisors from doing more or even implementing tax loss harvesting strategies. So like with the, the, the trading tools in Orion, being able to set automated uh, alerts for tax loss harvesting, typically you want to keep those thresholds a little bit wider so you're not creating transaction costs. Um, or the transaction costs eating away the benefits of the tax loss harvesting. So I think our advisors will be able to tighten that up or even start doing that more, taking advantage of that. Um, Orion's direct uh, index replication just became incredibly inexpensive, rivaling the cost of index ETFs um, while delivering a more custom SMA type solution with tax loss harvesting embedded in that is going to be something that our advisors should have an incredible amount of interest in now um, uh, with those fees being eliminated. And then I think it's also going to be interesting to see just how the industry or how the custodians respond as far as, you know, are they going to be charging for other services? Um, are there going to be a service you know, level? Is, is service level going to decrease that type of stuff? So it's, it's definitely something to watch. And I think we're probably going to dedicate an entire episode to this and some of the benefits of it um, down the line here. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. The other, the other news we have, uh, maybe more of a, um, a public service announcement on Orion. We are now operating under a single One Orion brand. So many of you probably familiar with our acquisition of FTJ, providing Orion an investment platform last year. So over the last year, we've diligently worked on pulling together the investment platform and their no-fee proprietary models with Orion's technology platform, which offers tax-efficient trading and rebalancing, direct index replication, which George talked about the potential benefits of zero transaction fees. But before today, advisors were forced to accept a bifurcated experience. And the tech used by major TAMs is really quite poor compared to what an RIA can get on their own. Um, so by realigning the investment offering of Orion Portfolio Solutions with Orion Advisor Tech's industry-leading platform, we feel we're providing an unparalleled seamless solution for advisors with both outsourced and rep as PM strategies. In addition, the proposal generation and integrated planning will benefit all Orion Portfolio Solutions clients right out of the gate. So we're super excited to have those conversations as we approach the end of this year. Um, and uh, we will be doing TAMP talks around the country in 34 cities, which you can uh, Google Orion Portfolio Solutions TAMP talks to find a city near you in either October, or November. And lastly, I guess really sad or tragic news, uh, the passing of Judd Bergman and his wife, Mary Miller. George, uh, do you want to share our thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just thoughts and prayers and all of our sympathies out to 
the Bergman family, um, the team over there at Investnet, a, a, needless to say, icon in the industry, um, an awesome and great competitor to us. Uh, I think we both helped push our firms forward and it really is a tragic loss to the industry. And, um, really our, our thoughts are with them. Yeah. It really put things in perspective when we heard that news is it's a small industry and we are very close as much as yeah. we compete with one another. Um, so, and, you know, given the amount that we travel and, and that we're in the same position. Um, yeah, it really is unfortunate. It puts things in perspective for all of us. Uh, with that, um, we look forward to talking to David Edwards at uh, Heron Wealth. So David, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, your origin story. Um, how did you come to be the advisor that you are today? I, I had the good fortune to start my career at Morgan Stanley in the 80s, not in wealth management, but in systems. At a time when Morgan Stanley was bringing computers to bear on financial applications for the first time. And I didn't stay in systems very long. I was actually uh, transferred over to the fixed income department using computers to develop trading applications and mortgage-backed securities when mortgage-backs were new, CMOs when CMOs were new, swaps when swaps were new. But that was a wonderful education of learning how to create data structures, learning how to create processes, learning how to create data flows, and most importantly, learning the importance of not automating stupid procedures. And what that means is a lot of times something, there's a process and it's, it's cumbersome and difficult and people just throw technology at it. And now you've got a dumb process that is expensive and cumbersome. So many years later, in the in the 1996 when I started my firm up, um, I had the opportunity to start from scratch and build processes and systems that that always supported my firm and made my life easy and never automated a dumb procedure. For the first 15 years of my firm, I was a solo advisor because back in the 1990s that was that was a possible thing, and I ran a lifestyle practice managing about 75 million dollars raising two kids in New York City, sending them to private school, and spending my summers in Nantucket, Massachusetts, racing sailboats. It was a horrible life, but somebody had to lead it. In 2011, uh, my life changed as my children went off to college and my, my nest was empty. And I thought about what I was going to do with the rest of my career. At that point, I was in my early 50s. And I decided to grow my firm from $75 million to a billion, which you cannot do as a solo. So I looked at my firm and realized that I could not uh, get by with just one person. I needed to take my skills and start cloning them across other talented people. So my first hire was Lucas, our portfolio manager, who was a Darden MBA, same as me. And uh, he had a CFA, so he's smarter than me. And uh, he had a 10-year career in, in private equity. And I trained him first on how to be a trader and then how to do portfolio management and then how to do investment research. And so that freed up a big chunk of my time. And my next hire was a vet who had a 20-year career at Solomon Smith Barney. And her job was outsourced to India when Solomon Smith Barney merged with Morgan Stanley. And um, she took over all of our uh, operations, account opening, cash flows, reporting to clients and accountants. And that piece of work went away. 
And I continued adding on uh, uh, people that were experts in financial planning and other advisors and so on and so forth. And so um, that enabled me to move away from routine work and focus on the really complicated problems. No client is ever going to call me and ask how much money they can put into their IRA. They can Google that answer. But they, they will call me and ask me the really complicated questions, such as, hey, David, my child won $2 million in a medical malpractice lawsuit. I now need to create a complicated trust that will satisfy the courts, but still accomplish the needs I have for my child's education. Well, Chris, another advisor in my office, and I spent weeks trying to figure out how we were going to accomplish that, given the parameters of the courts. No robo-advisor is going to replace that set of skills. And then the technology platform that we have enables us to model what all these alternatives could be. I instead look at myself as the bionic advisor. I use the technology to leap over all the others. One of the interesting things you mentioned, and um, it wasn't something I appreciated when we first met, but now I, it's, it's clear, a lot of firms that are looking to grow from $75 million to a billion are going to look and see if they can buy books of business or recruit other advisors who have books of business. Thinking about the people that I've met at your firm, you haven't done that. So you've preferred the path of recruiting and training. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. If... If I could have bought books of business along, along the way, I would have. But the the way that I have looked at the at the um, the wealth management business is a bit different uh, than uh, than other people look at it. And I think it's because a lot of people who came through the Morgan Stanley training program or the Wells Fargo training program are kind of product focused and have have a real hard time understanding that the investment product is really immaterial at this point. Uh, we, we serve our clients with separate stocks and bonds or mutual funds or exchange-traded funds or a combination thereof. We're actually pretty agnostic about the investment platform. Most of our energy goes into figuring out what is the best financial plan, what is the best tax plan, what is the best estate plan. And among the 175 families that we work with, not one has the same plan as the other. So uh, when, we've, when I've talked to people who have their career at Merrill Lynch, they just don't understand it. They're like, well, don't we just sell them a mutual fund and then we're done? No. So instead, I've taken people that have had non-traditional backgrounds for wealth management and trained them internally. It's a successful model. It's my origin story, uh, not too dissimilar from your own. But um, I guess it's you hit on an important point. I, I went to the Barron's conference, and and it was very wirehouse focused. So you had Morgan Stanley, uh, Merrill Lynch, you know, kind of other big wirehouses there. And every speaker, instead of thought leadership, they were really talking about products and product selection and trends in product selection. It's uh, very different when you come into the independent space, and the focus is on wealth. Uh, wealth management, true wealth management and financial planning and those complex situations you described. Um, maybe uh, looking at the different scenarios, like little Jimmy who wins a $2 million medical malpractice suit is a complicated scenario. Little Jimmy can afford your fees. Um, how do you account for, I think you actually were the one who told me the term Henry, 
um, high earners, not rich yet. How do you account for the friends of family, the, um, the, the children who today might be young professionals that are, have a significant income, but just don't have enough savings, but at some point in the future, you want to nurture them? Yeah. So up until about five years ago, we had a million dollar minimum. And that was fine because most of my clients at the time were business owners and executives. But we were confronting a, a, a problem we hadn't expected. What about the 20-something, 30-something sons and daughters of my clients? If I said to them, hey, Jimmy, hey, Janie, I would love to work with you. Can you circle back to me when you inherit mom's money or dad's money? I would never hear from them again. Plus, um, a, another issue is you, you, how do you make family money sticky? Uh, we actually work across generations. We work with the, the matriarch or patriarch in their 70s and 80s, the adult children in their 50s and 60s, and the, and the recent college grads in their 20s. How do you make it sticky? Well, if you can reach out and, and loop the 20-year-olds in to financial planning as soon as they graduate from college, Grandma or grandpa aren't going anywhere. They are so delighted that their grandchildren are learning in their 20s what we learned in our 30s and 40s. So um, the good news was uh, we were an early adopter of e-money, and e-money enabled us to move off of spreadsheets uh, and move onto a platform accessible on the on the phone and on uh, and on the PC and whip together in minutes the financial plans that used to take us hours. And as we uh, rolled out our technology stack over the last uh, decade or so, um, you know, this is important for any advisor who's listening to this podcast, you need to have a diagram in front of you that shows you how your custodian interfaces with your your financial planning system, whether it's eMoney or MoneyGuide Pro, how your your um, your uh, custodian and your financial planning program interfaces with your reporting platform, Orion, for example. Uh, Orion also provides us with our with our performance reporting. It provides us with our our, our uh, fee calculations. Um, how it inter- how it interacts with your task management. Uh, we grew so rapidly uh, from 2012 to 2017, we were growing 30% a year, that we reached a point where we were about to collapse from not being able to keep track of client tasks. And we brought in Redtail at that point, and uh, we spent three months converting over to Redtail. And then now we can rest easy because nothing falls through the cracks. So you need to have that diagram that shows how all this data flows back and forth. And... Um, and then you don't, you know, you're, you're not, or the alternative, you know, is you can hire four or five extra people to work in your office. Yeah, we see that all the time. The hamsters on the wheel or the uh, interns or yeah. kids of the principals stuffing envelopes in the back room somewhere. Yeah. How do you, um, I'm just curious, how often do you evaluate all of those, uh, David? And then, and then how, how do you go about determining, okay, we, we need to make a change here? One of the one of the success secrets I learned over the years was to limit my technology upgrades and my marketing upgrades to one per year. If I do more than one technology upgrade per year, I crush the souls of my team. It's just too much work. So every January, I take a look over all the things that we're doing and try to understand where we have pain points. So let's use um, our upgrade to Orion as an example. 
in 2012, we needed to upgrade our, our reporting system. And at that time, Orion was a relatively new platform. And as we went through the RFP process, Orion was second and a, another competitor of Orion was first. And so we upgraded to that competitor and that's how things were for the next seven years. Well, well, seven years went by, that competitor kind of didn't really grow. It kind of stayed in one place, but Orion got significantly better. And, uh, and actually, we'd stayed in touch with Orion, with Ryan of Orion over the years. And um, at a certain point, I said, Ryan, you know, we need actually to have another conversation with you. And so we worked through the details. And then because we had this piece of paper, we knew exactly what had to happen to make the transition from one platform to the other successful. We knew what data flows had to work. We know what reports had to be output successfully. And therefore, we had a timeline and a schedule of what to, to test in what sequence to make this thing happen. And you know, one of the things that I have to compliment Ryan for is what a great onboarding team they had. We worked out a schedule from July 1st of last year to December 31st of last year, and Ryan's onboarding team adapted to their schedule so that we were able to parallel at my firm, which doubles everyone's workload, knock these things one after the other, so that even though transitioning from one system to the other is like swapping out the cylinders in your car while the motor is running, it was done on schedule and seamless as far as our clients were concerned. Can you talk about the results that you were, you know, got out of this uh, just like one year in? We're always trying to do things better, faster, and cheaper than before. And when I think about, you know, the days that went into a financial plan, um, you know, 10 years ago, or the days that went into producing our, um, our monthly reporting cycle 10 years ago, and now... Um, I know that your listeners won't believe this, but we have a monthly uh, invoicing cycle that starts at 10 a.m. on the first business day of each month and ends at 12, <laughs> which means that you know the money is in my checking account at Chase at 12:30, and then all of my you know invoices are paid at you know by 2 p.m. And I talk to my peers, and their reconciliations aren't even done until a month after you know the quarter ends, not the month ends. And they've got a whole department that all they do is reconciliations. And I'm like, ugh, talk about a waste of money and a waste of you know intelligence. If you have good computer systems in place, if you have debugged the processes in place. You're not wasting time um, trying to figure out why these things don't reconcile. It's continuously reconciled the whole way through. And, um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm able to quantify the dollar value uh, of switching reporting systems. It's a quarter million dollars. And that quarter million dollars comes from uh, we don't have to manually post a client reports anymore. We used to have a temp in one, one day a month to do that. Uh, we, um, we, I'm able to redeploy uh, advisors that I used to have uh, just helping me create uh, uh, report packages for, for client meetings. 
Now, uh, when I prepare for a, a client annual review, I've got two pl two templates good to go. One in eMoney for their financial plan, one in Orion for their performance reports. Click and click, and it's done in five minutes, which means that I can do that many more uh, high-quality uh, uh, client reviews, which means that many more opportunities to ask for referrals. So the 250000 Dave, that's like what you saved in – just time spent doing your current processes, right? That doesn't, I mean, that doesn't even yep. count that, what you that, now get. That is, that is, that is, you know, salary dollars that fell into my pocket that I could redeploy uh, for marketing or, you know, uh, client facing advisors instead of back office. You know, it's interesting. What, what, what do you think is more soul crushing? The, um, you know, Advisors that that we were just talking about this a little earlier, uh, Ryan and I. Advisors that just look at the monumental task of changing their technologies, and they just decide, you know what, we're just going to continue to keep doing it the way we are, because we don't want to have to go through that process of, yeah. Um, so it's I just find it interesting that advisors will take a look at that and be like, that's too much work. I'm going to continue to do this incredible amount of work in perpetuity because I don't want to go through that six months yeah. of pain. And and that's fine. Uh, those firms are roadkill, and they will not be around in a few years. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be facetious here, but you know, when I started my firm in 1996, it was possible for me to manage $75 million very happily as a solo. And that era is over. The amount of money I, I spend on technology and compliance and uh, cybersecurity is crushing. I could not do it on an asset base of $75 million. But here's another warning. Right now, we're managing about $400 million. In another five years, firms with less than a billion will not be able to survive because it, there's a constant escalation of cybersecurity costs, compliance costs, technology costs, real estate costs, insurance costs, health insurance costs, salary costs, but fees continue to, get, to, to go down. And, um, and so there is a, there's a definite split in our industry between the firms, the 10% of firms that are growing 20, 30, 50% a year, and the firms that are growing 10% or 0% or shrinking 10%. And I prefer to be in the category that grows 20, 30% a year. I would completely agree. I guess, you know, to that point of fee compression, George and I were talking a little bit earlier about Vanguard rolling out an all digital investment advice and financial planning solution. What are your thoughts on that? You already talked about, you know, some of those complex challenges you have. Do you think that that's going to potentially erode at some of the advisors that are out there that are offering light offerings or just dipping their toes into uh, creating a financial plan? There's going to be multiple avenues for multiple kinds of clients. There, there's always going to be what I call an extreme do-it-yourselfer who will, will sign up with Betterman or Vanguard or Schwab and will never want to speak to somebody like me. Fine. At the other extreme, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, clients that will never want to touch that, never want to even look at Fidelity.com, will always want to talk to someone like me. Um, but what I find is that you know when I was a single person in my 20s, I had no problem doing my own tax returns. Once I got married, once I started my own business, once I had children, uh, once things got complicated, I had to rely on an accountant because it was just too time consuming. And you know, my value add as an advisor these days has nothing to do with investing. 
it has everything to do with the fact that my clients have 10,000 choices and they are relying on me to guide them to the 10 choices that matter and help them pick the best three. And it's going to be a long time before Siri or Alexa is going to be able to do that for a client. So when it comes to building a plain vanilla uh, portfolio of index ETFs, yeah, Betterment can do it fine. Vanguard could do it fine. When it comes to, to the, the reasons why you want to build that portfolio, oh, that's when a human being comes into play. Mm, yeah, that's right. Well, I guess talking about your, your, your office, you're in a new office now, aren't you, David, from the one that I had visited? Um, it's same same setup. Um, we uh, I had a home office for 15 years. That was pretty awesome. Walked down the hallway to a spare bedroom. Um, I'm here in New York City where real estate is very expensive and frankly not nice. And um, you, you guys are familiar with WeWork? Yes. Well, we were looking around Midtown Manhattan and all the offices were dingy and dirty and the bathroom was down the hallway with a, with a key on a chain. And I just said, this is not going to work for us. This is terrible. And then one of my younger advisors said, well, David, let's get a conference space at WeWorks. And I had said, well, what the hell is that? And said, yeah, it's this co-working thing. And I go, no, seriously, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and when I first walked in, I was a little off-put because um, the walls are glass. Uh, everybody, the average age is about 25 or so. Yeah. Um, and I was worried that my clients would think that was strange. But as it turns out, my clients love it. Really? Uh, they love the energy. Uh, they love the excitement. Um, and I think it's because our firm, although I'm an old guy at 58, um, our firm is generally technology-driven, modern, and transparent. And WeWork is mm-hmm. technology-driven, transparent, like and modern. And it's, it supports our brand. That's good. Yeah, you found something that's consistent with your your, your own ideology. Yeah. So WeWork, I guess, is a great place to work. Um, maybe not the best stock. So we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, we we spend a lot of time <laughs> uh, following the uh, the 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 uh, financial situation there. I, as an investor, it's not something I would I would rush to invest in. Uh, but I they'll, they'll work it out. They'll work it out. I'm a little bummed too because one of my favorite things on the road is to see what kind of goofy things people have uh, attached to the bathroom key. (laughs) I've never actually been inside of WeWork, but I've heard the coffees are fantastic. The coffee is good. Hopefully I can come come for a visit soon. The beer tab opens at four. Uh, There's a beer tab? Wait, what? There's kegs on every floor. You got your ping pong tables and your foosball tables. And and, uh, it's a very dynamic space um most of the tenants are uh, remote uh, sales offices okay and uh there's also little hedge funds and uh uh um pro bono uh organizations as well but the best part about it is that it's month to month so that when we decided to double our space here we just moved down the hallway yeah what I'm just kind of curious, Dave. What, what's what's next for you? What you you know you have your um, technology and marketing initiatives. What's on the horizon for you to to evaluate? I had an interesting conversation. One of the one of the things that your advisors should be thinking about is the time of trial and error is over, and if you want to be growing at twenty or thirty percent a year, you need to reach out and 
grab expertise wherever you can find it. So we work uh, at the strategic level with Carson Wealth. They have a coaching team. Uh, we work at the sales level uh, with both Sandler Training here in New York City and an organizational behavior behaviorist to understand better how to interact one-on-one -on -one with, with, with prospects. And um, I just had a meeting today uh, with the, uh, the advisor coaching team at Alliance Bernstein. Uh, and uh, I said, you know, I'm really upset because we have the capacity to add four families a month right now and we're really not doing that we've added maybe six families in the whole year and um and the the head uh, strategist at alliance Brinsley said yeah it's actually something that's kind of broader based um the media is just crushing the souls of your prospects right now. So you, the advisor who's trying to grow your firm, have two choices. One, you can stare at your computer screen and, and, and cry about it. Or two, you can say, okay, well, what can we do to break past this, this miserable fog of bad information that our clients are just absolutely wallowing in right now? And... Um, and, you know, because, I mean, client referrals have just dried up to nothing. So this, one of the suggestions was, you know, here's a very nice checklist that uh, you can send out to your clients and says, um, there's four of them. It's for different stages of life. One is for newlyweds. One is for recent college graduates. One is for people in their 30s and 40s. One is for uh, people that are approaching what we call the glide path to retirement. One is for people that are, that are thinking about elder care issues. Um, dear clients. We care about you an awful lot, and we know that you have friends and family you care about. Will you present this checklist to them and ask them to go through it? And if they have any questions that come out of this checklist as a result, by all means, have them reach out to us. And obviously, that's a, a pretty aggressive approach. The actual email that we send out or the... That we're, we're debating about sending it out as part of a little gift basket with a couple of Heron coffee mugs and you know some coffee and tea, something to be soothing, whatever. We're kind of working out the logistics of it a little bit. But when the old methods stop working, you have to do something new. And you have to be not afraid to spend $5,000 on a LinkedIn ad campaign or a couple thousand dollars on, a, on an event or something to get the, the, the pipeline bubbling again. And I think a lot of advisors just crawl into their office and close the door and kind of look at some stock reports and, and, and hide from the, the job that they should be doing but don't want to because it's hard. Yeah. It's on that front too. Um, there's a, a company that's kind of become quite popular. I don't know how successful the, the actual leads generated from it. Have, have you ever heard of Smart Asset? Yes. Or some of those uh, others? Yep. Uh, we actually are very familiar with Smart Asset. We signed up with them uh, 18 months ago. And the very first lead we got was a $5 million account. Wow. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I've, I've not heard such successful <laughs> results, but that's great to hear. Uh, so yeah. And um, and then the next 80 leads generated one small account. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? Wow. Um, so so um, the answer is if you're in a small market, you know, a regional market like Rochester, New York, or, uh, or Austin, Texas, I think you'll find Smart Asset is very successful for you. If you're in a large urban market like New York City where there are a lot of advisors, um, it's more difficult. 
Um, and what we found in particular for New York City is that New York City residents are just pounded all day long with media. And it's even if they went to the effort of filling out a questionnaire, which is not not trivial, they forget they filled out that questionnaire within 48 hours. So we actually went downtown to meet with the smart asset people. They're actually located in Soho and, and you know, spent some time on, uh, trying, trying to tweak the process a little bit. Um, we, we were going as far abroad as uh, Brooklyn and New Jersey and Long Island. And we were getting leads that like, going to Manhattan, why, that might as well be on Mars. <laughs> and like, we, we have clients from, you know, Florida to, to Maine to California, but Brooklyn was too far as far as they were concerned. So we've scaled it back. Oh, like we've scaled it back. An hour by car. It's, yeah. So we've scaled it back to just Manhattan and, and Westchester. Now we're getting very, very few leads. So we're going to expand it again to include Williamsburg and uh, the Hudson River. And again, you got to tweak it. We're, we're trying a LinkedIn campaign right now for the first time. Um, and again, that's a kind of a low probability sort of thing, but you have to try it. What 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 is generating a lot of leads right now is we uh, we reworked the SEO on our website and uh, we're getting three to four leads uh, per week, just people looking for a wealth advisor. And maybe every eighth one is uh, is is coming on board as a client, more for financial planning than for um, than for uh, AUM uh, asset management work. But whatever, a, a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there, it's it's five percent of our, of our revenues. So I gotta I gotta ask this really quick. Um, being that you're in New York City, David, you probably uh, have pretty decent pizza food all around, and I know that you're going to be in Omaha in October. Need you to do me a favor, and I want you to try Godfather's Pizza. No, don't uh, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> in Omaha, mm -hmm. <laughs> David, I, I, I go to Omaha all the time. It's, There's no pizza that'll impress, but you'll get tons Midwest of recommendations. Pizza, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Sure. Okay. And while if, if, and while you're if, at it, have a bagel lox and schmear. <laughs> if I'm in Omaha, I'm gonna have a humongous steak. That's what I'm gonna have. Okay. <laughs> Smart man in Omaha <laughs> with corn and a baked potato. Oh, <laughs> You're in good corn season. You might you might catch the tail end of sweet corn season. But yeah, get get some Godfather's pizza and tell Ryan how much you love it. He did. <laughs> yeah, I just have to find a gas station that sells it. <laughs> well, David, thanks for joining George and I today on the Few Show podcast. And it was my pleasure to be with you. It was a lot of fun listening to all of the stories about your business, uh, how you've grown your firm over the last uh, couple of decades, how you've changed your business model to adapt, and how you intend to succeed. So we look forward to continuing on the story soon. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to The Fuse Show. We're your hosts, George Figuera and Ryan Donovan. We hope you enjoyed hearing our take on the latest fintech news, David's own story about his growth at Heron Wealth, and all that's happening to Ryan to help advisors and their firms continue to innovate, disrupt, and win. You can listen to The Few Show on all your favorite podcast platforms and feel free to share your thoughts on the show with us and send us questions to cover in future episodes. You can reach us at thefewshow at orion.com.